All right, it's good to be with you this morning. We'll be continuing our series in the book of Colossians. So please turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2, and we'll be looking at verses 16 through 23. I'll go ahead and read that. It says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels. Go on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to the things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. We are not to be deceived, brothers and sisters. Those who operate in deception have plagued humanity from the beginning, dealing with liars and cheats and frauds, unfortunately, as part of the human experience. Dishonesty comes with a multitude of reasons, and whether it be something that they just simply want or to harm others, to protect or promote themselves, no matter what the ancillary reason is, there's only one root cause, and that's to gratify their flesh. And throughout history, there's been no lack of those willing to con you for their own selfish gain. In the long history of car and artists, George C. Parker holds a special place of dishonor. He is remembered as one of the most successful and daring swindlers in American history. He set up office in New York City and sold some of the city's most famous attractions to unwitting immigrants and tourists. Although his favorite was the Brooklyn Bridge, he also made much of his living conducting other illegal sales of property he did not own. Often New York's public landmarks such as the Statue of Liberty and Madison Square Garden. He would produce elaborately forged documents and deeds to convince his targets that he was the rightful owner of the landmarks he was selling. Parker was so persuasive that on one occasion, and more than one occasion, police had, had, had to come and explain to the new owners of the Brooklyn Bridge why they couldn't put up toll booths to collect money for those who tried to cross. After his third conviction for fraud, Parker was sentenced to a life at Sing Sing Prison in New York, where he spent the last eight years of his life. He dishonestly made a fortune preying on the people who foolishly believed his empty words. He not only was an expert salesman, but he realized that people were gullible and that they would use, and he would use that to their advantage, to his advantage, excuse me. God expects us not to be so easily fooled, but rather we should stand firm in what we know is true, investigate what we are told, and be certain that is correct. Ephesians 5.15 says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. We are to develop, develop godly understanding through the reading and the meditating of his word, praying for wisdom to be diligent in discerning the truth, rather than simply accepting everything we hear without question. Even now, with all the tools that we've been given, most notably, we have the Bible in 
whatever form you need. We also have great teachers, dead and alive, access to books and commentaries, varying Bible study tools, whether it be physical copies or digital, and the list goes on. In, a, in this day and age, there's no shortage of biblical wisdom and help at our disposal, and sadly, there's no shortage of lies. Every couple of years, Ligonier Ministries and Lifeway Research conduct a survey called the State of Theology to get a pulse on what Americans believe about God, salvation, ethics, and the Bible. I've got a small sample set, um, and I'm going to concentrate on, although they ask a wide range of people, I'm going to concentrate on some of the responses from professing evangelicals. And here are some of the responses. God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. 49% strongly disagree. 7% somewhat disagree. 5% weren't sure. 10% somewhat agree. And 29% strongly agree. So God will not accept worship from false religions. Says God learns to learns and adapts to different circumstances. Fifty-seven percent strongly disagree. Five percent somewhat disagree. Nine percent weren't sure. Four percent strongly or somewhat agree. And twenty-five percent strongly agree. That God's still learning. So despite the clear teaching of the Bible that God is unchanging, there's some division. Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. 28% strongly disagree. 6% somewhat disagree. 8% weren't sure. 7% somewhat agree. And 45% strongly agree that Jesus was created. So between the 45 and the 7% of agreement, over 50% to some degree or another believe that Jesus was a created being. And the Holy Spirit is a force, but is not a personal being. 46% strongly disagree, 3% somewhat disagree, 9% weren't sure, 8% somewhat agree, and 34% strongly agree. But Scripture is explicit in confirming the person of the Holy Spirit. So this is a small sample set from a limited survey, so it's by no means, defi by no means definitive. And it doesn't necessarily mean that a decent portion of, portion of professing believers are false teachers, but it does suggest an unhealthy degree of biblical illiteracy or an ignorance to what the Bible actually teaches. Especially considering what I referenced displays a great deal of confusion regarding the character of either God, Jesus Christ, or the Holy Spirit. If we're not clear on what the Bible teaches, we become susceptible to lies and easy prey for false teachers. Now, deception has been a persistent problem throughout the history of the church. In our passage, we're going to see the, uh, see the Apostle Paul warning the Colossians about the danger of being deceived by false teachers who seek to draw them away from the sufficiency of Christ. As we go through this passage, I want to point out three specific areas that Paul warns the Colossians not to be deceived in which false teachers were seeking to mislead them. The first one is don't be deceived by legalistic observations. 
Colossians 2, 16 and 17 say, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in the questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or new moon or Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. You see, the Colossians were being pressured to observe certain Jewish festivals and dietary laws. In the previous verses, verses, as we heard from Randy last week, Paul warns the Colossians about false teachers who were promoting a false spirituality, one that emphasized legalistic observances and the worship of angels. These false teachers were attempting to add to the gospel of Christ, and as a result, were robbing believers of the fullness of salvation in him. So when Paul says here in verse 16, let no one pass judgment on you, he's referring to these false teachers who were judging the Colossians based on their adherence to certain religious observances. Specifically, he mentions food and drink, festivals, new moons, and Sabbaths. So Paul reminds them that these things were only a shadow of the reality that's found in Christ. Now, it's important to note that Paul's not saying that these things are unimportant or irrelevant. In fact, he acknowledges that they are a shadow of things to come. What he's saying is that they are not the substance which is Christ. In other words, these religious observances were designed to point to Christ, to foreshadow his coming and his work in redemption. They were meant to be a signpost, not a destination. And now that Christ has come and accomplished our salvation, we no longer need to observe these things in a legalistic and ritualistic way. The Colossians were being pressured to observe certain Jewish practices in order to be truly spiritual. But Paul is saying that this is a form of legalism that should not be imposed on believers. The idea that we can earn God's favor or salvation by keeping a set of religious rules or practices is believed that our performance is what makes us acceptable to God. Legalism is a dangerous and deadly trap. It is a denial of the gospel of grace and we cannot earn our salvation through our own efforts. It is a gift that is freely given to us by God. Paul similarly warns the Galatians about the dangers of legalism in Galatians 5.1, where it says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. We need to remember that legalism is a yoke of slavery that we have been set through from through Jesus Christ. The Colossians are being reminded that not, to not let anyone judge them based on these practices. We are free in Christ. What does that mean? As believers, we have been set free from the bondage of sin and death by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And in him, we have the freedom to live a life of obedience to God, free from the guilt and condemnation that once enslaved us. Now, this is not to say that we are free to live however we want, disregarding the commands of God, but rather, we are now empowered by the Holy Spirit to live a life of obedience and of gratitude for what Christ has done for us, not placing our trust in these, thing, in these things as a means of earning or maintaining our salvation. Our salvation is secured by faith in Christ alone. That is, Christ is the only Savior. B.B. Warfield wrote, the saving power of faith resides thus not in itself, but in the almighty Savior on whom it rests. The centrality of Christ is the foundation of our faith. Martin Luther said that Jesus Christ is the center and the circumference of the Bible, meaning that who he is and what he did in his death and resurrection is the fundamental content of Scripture. 
In verse 17, Paul tells us that the practices that the, Coloss- the, practices that the Colossians were being intimidated to observe are just a shadow, pointing to something greater that was to come. The reality is found in Christ. He is the fulfillment of all these practices that were pointed to. He is the one who has set us free from the bondage of legalism. And we need to understand that the practices of the Old Testament were pointing to Christ. They were meant to be a shadow of the reality that was to come. They were never meant to be an end in themselves. This is why Paul tells us in Galatians 3.24 that the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we may be justified by faith. The practices of the Old Testament were a guide to bring us to Christ. They were meant to show us our need for a Savior. They were meant to show us that we cannot save ourselves through our own volition. The freedom we have in Christ is not a license to sin or indulge in fleshly desires. Rather, it's an opportunity to live in accordance with God's will and to pursue holiness. When we accept Jesus as our Savior, we are not only forgiven our sins, but we are also adopted into God's family. We become children of God, and as such, we are called to live in a manner that reflects our new identity. This means putting to death the deeds of the flesh, living by the Spirit, as it says in Galatians 5. It means living a life of love, joy, peace, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Galatians 5.18 says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. This verse encapsulates the contrast between living by the law and living by the Spirit. Paul is addressing a group of believers who had been influenced by a false teaching that they must follow the law in order to be justified before God. But Paul tells them that this is a dangerous and false gospel because no one can be justified by the law. Instead, he emphasizes that our salvation comes solely through faith in Christ and Christ alone. And so when Paul says that those who are being led by the Spirit are not under the law, he's saying that those that belong to Christ are no longer bound by the demands of the law. The law was given as a temporary measure to reveal our sin and our need for a Savior. But now that Christ has come, we are free from the curse of the law. This freedom, again, is not a license to sin. Rather, it's a call to live by the Spirit, to walk in step with the Holy Spirit who indwells us as believers. When we do this in Christ, we will naturally fulfill the law, not, on our obli- not out of our obligation, but out of our love for God. This is obviously true for us, but was every bit as true for the Colossians, and this is why Paul was admonishing them. My brothers and sisters, this is a warning for us as well. Let us not fall into the trap of legalism, thinking that we can earn our salvation through our own efforts. Instead, let us cling to the gospel of grace and be led by the Spirit, walking in freedom and obedience to our Lord Jesus Christ. The second point is don't be deceived by false humility and angel worship. Verse 18 says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. The false teachers were promoting a false humility and worship of angels. The Colossian believers were being influenced by false teachers that were promoting an asceticism that denied the sufficiency of Christ. 
These false teachers were attempting to lure the Colossians away from Christ and into a self-imposed form of worship that was based on their own human traditions and wisdom. They are promoting a false humility and a worship of angels. The worship of angels mentioned here in this passage is a reference to the practice of angel worship that was prevalent in some of the early church communities. Some believed that by worshiping angels, they could gain access to a hidden knowledge and insights that would help them with their spiritual journey. And even in our day, we see those that claim to have special revelation from angels and seek to promote their own self-righteousness through mystical experiences. Let us be clear, there's no higher authority than the Word of God. And the Word of God tells us that angels are not to be worshipped or prayed to. They are created beings just like us, and they are subject to God's authority. In fact, Hebrews 1.14 tells us that angels are ministering spirits, spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. They are not to be worshipped, but rather they serve as messengers of God's truth. Furthermore, we must be careful not to be deceived by false humility. True humility is a recognition of our own sinfulness and our dependence on God's grace for salvation. False humility, on the other hand, is a deceptive way of promoting oneself in more spiritual or, to be more spiritual or holy than others. It's a form of pride that disguises itself in religious language. Paul was warning the Colossians to be on guard of these false teachers seeking to lead them astray with their empty philosophies and deceitful practices, encouraging them to hold fast to the truth of God's word and trust in the finished work of Christ. And let us remember that our worship and adoration belong to God alone, who is worthy of all praise and honor and avoid any form of false worship or false humility. Let us live and keep our focus on Christ and his word and trust him alone for our salvation. And Paul was exposing this as a form of self-abasement and an abandonment of of the headship of Christ. We see in verse 19 when it says, And not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Now to truly understand the significance of this verse, we must first understand its context. In Colossians 2, Paul is addressing the deceptive philosophies that were threatening to undermine the church in Colossae. These false teachers were promoting legalism, asceticism, and a false spirituality that was not grounded in the truth of Christ. And in response to these dangers, Paul reminds the Colossians that Christ is the head of the church and that it is only by holding fast to him that the church can grow and flourish. He uses the metaphor of a body with Christ at the head and believers as its members to emphasize the importance of unity and interconnectedness with the church. But notice that Paul doesn't just say that the body grows. He doesn't stop there. He says it grows with the increase that is from God. This is a reminder that true spiritual growth can only come from God and that our role as believers is simply to hold fast to Christ and allow him to work in and through us. So what does that mean to hold fast to Christ? It means to cling to him, to submit to his lordship in our lives. It means to seek him in prayer, to study his word, obey his commandments. It means to recognize that our spiritual growth is not dependent on our own efforts and abilities, but on his grace and power to work in us. 
And the third point is don't be deceived by asceticism. Verse 20 says, if, Christ, if with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? This verse is, <clears throat> excuse me, indicates to all of us that believers in Christ, we have died to the old ways of the world and now are living in the newness of life in Christ. Paul is stressing that the Colossians died to the elemental spirits and forces of the world. And these forces refer to the spiritual powers that control the world. Through our union with Christ, we have been set free from these powers and are no longer slaves to sin and death. However, Paul goes on to ask the Colossians, why are they still submitting to the rules of the world? He's reminding them that they are no longer of the world, but are now citizens of heaven. And as believers, we are called to live according to the standards of God's kingdom and not the standards of the world. This is a powerful message for us today. As we live in a world that we're constantly bombarded with messages that are contrary to the gospel, we are told that success and happiness come through material possessions and power and status, and we are told that we need to conform to the world's standards, which is changing all the time, to find our value. But as believers, we know that these messages are lies. We know that true success and joy come through our relationship with Christ and that our value is based on our identity with him. We know that we are called to live according to God's standards which are revealed in his word. Romans 12:2, Paul writes, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This reminds us that we are not called to conform to the world's standards, but to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Galatians 5.1, Paul writes, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Christ has set us free from the bondage of sin and death and we are not called to live, and we are called to live in the freedom of his grace. As we live in a world that is constantly trying to pull us away from Christ, we must hold fast to the truth of God's word. We must be intentional about renewing our minds and transforming our hearts to align to God's will. We must resist the temptation to conform to the world's standards and instead live according to the standards of God's kingdom. Verses 21 and 22 go on to say, Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules which have to do with Things that are all destined to perish with use are based on merely human commands and teachings. The false teachers were promoting a strict asceticism that denied the body's needs and desires. Asceticism is a practice of severe self-discipline and self-denial, and some were insisting on this as a way to tr achieve greater spiritual purity and holiness. They believed that by denying themselves certain pleasures and comforts, they would become more righteous and pleasing to God. And Paul is addressing a dangerous teaching that had crept into the Colossian church. This false teaching consisted of a set of man-made rules and regulations that were being imposed on believers, supposedly to make them more holy and righteous. These rules included things like do not handle, do not taste, and do not touch, as if refraining certain, from certain foods and objects 
could make someone more holy. But Paul's quick to point out that these rules are based on merely human commands and teachings, not on God's word. They are designed to make people feel righteous through their own efforts rather than through faith in Christ's finished work on the cross. As Christians, we need to be careful not to fall into the same traps. It can be tempting to rely on our own efforts to make ourselves holy rather than trusting in the finished work of Christ. But as Paul reminds us in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We cannot earn our salvation or righteousness through our own efforts. It is only through faith in Christ that we can be saved and made righteous in God's sight. As Paul writes in Romans 3.22, the righteousness, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So as believers, what does this mean? First, it means that we need to be wary of any teachings or practices that place the focus on our own efforts rather than Christ's finished work. And second, in light of 1 Corinthians 15.3 and 4, where it says, for I, what I received I passed on to you as first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised, and on the third day according to the scriptures. We need to continually remind ourselves of the truth of the gospel. We need to remember that our salvation is not based on what we do or what we don't do, but on what Christ has already done for us. Finally, it means that we need to live in light of the gospel. We need to strive to live holy lives, not as a means of earning our salvation, but as a response to the grace that's been shown to us. As Paul writes in Ephesians 4.1, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. So close our passage out. In verse 23, it says, They have indeed appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. What Paul is addressing here is a form of religion that places an emphasis on external practices such as fasting and keeping certain dietary laws, observing special days, and performing rituals. These practices are promoted as a means of gaining spiritual favor and achieving righteousness before God. However, Paul makes it clear that these practices are useless in dealing with the root problem of sin in our lives. In fact, Paul argues that these practices can be harmful because they give the appearance of godliness but actually lead to pride and a false, self, false sense of superiority. Paul's warning against legalism is consistent throughout the entire New Testament. Jesus himself rebuked the Pharisees for their legalistic approach to religion, saying in Matthew 23, 23, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. In contrast to legalism, the message of the New Testament is that our righteousness comes through faith in Christ. And as Paul writes in Romans 3, 21 and 22, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him, without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. 
And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. In other words, our relationship with God is not based on our performance or our ability to keep the law, but solely on our faith in Christ. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, God saved you by grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. The danger of legalism is that it distorts the gospel message and leads us away from the truth of salvation by grace through faith. Legalism places the focus on our own works and accomplishments rather than on Christ and his work on our behalf. This can lead to pride, self-righteousness, and a false sense of dominance over others who do not measure up to those standards. So in conclusion, Paul's warning to the Colossians is just as relevant for us today. We must be aware of false teaching that seeks to draw us away from the sufficiency of Christ. We must be careful not to judge others based on their religious practices while also being mindful of false teachings that focus on external practices rather than a true heart for God. We must hold fast to Christ as the head of the church and recognize that the sufficiency he provides is the only true victory over the flesh. Let us cling to Christ and not be deceived by anything that would seek to draw us away from him. False teachers are agents of deception who distort the truth and lead people away from God. This passage serves as a stark reminder of the dangers of false teachers and instructions to be vigilant in testing the spirits and holding fast to the truth. In 2 Peter 2, 1, it is written, But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Therefore, it's important to be discerning when listening to anybody who claims to teach from the Bible. It is essential to compare what is being taught with the Bible itself and not just rely on someone's interpretation. False teachers may use scriptures out of context, add to or subtract from the Bible, or twist the meaning of a text to fit their own agenda. It's also important to pray for guidance and to seek wisdom of mature believers who can help us discern truth from error. We should be cautious of teachers who promise easy solutions or present a distorted gospel and instead seek those who are faithful to the truth of Scripture and point us towards Christ. There are certain con artists out there representing a God that they've made in their own image that deny or distort the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Galatians 1, 6-9 says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one preached to you, let them be under God's curse. There's only one true gospel, and any teaching that deviates from that should be rejected. False teachers may twist and add to the gospel message, but we should remain steadfast in the truth that we have received. 2 Timothy 4, 3-4 says, For a time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. 
they would turn, turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. False teachers may appear to be may appear to people's desires, appeal, excuse me, and say what they want to hear rather than preaching the truth. We should be wary of these teachings and should seek out teachings that are grounded in sound doctrine. So the best way to guard yourself against falsehood and false teachers is to know the truth. To spot a counterfeit, study the real thing. Any believer who correctly handles the the word of truth, as it says in 2 Timothy 2, who makes careful study of the Bible, can identify false doctrine. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 declares, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So as we study the Bible, we will be conformed with our sin, con- confronted with our sin and our need for a Savior. We will be reproved and corrected, not out of condemnation, but out of love and desire for us to live in obedience to God. And as we grow in righteousness through the study of his word, we will be equipped for every good work that God has called us to do. Church, not, church let us not take the word of God lightly. Let us approach it with reverence and awe, recognizing that it is the very breath of God himself. And let us allow the word of God to transform our lives, equipping us for every good work that God has prepared for us to do. May we always remember that the Bible is not just a book, but it's a living and it is the living and active word of God. And it has the power to change our lives forever. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I just pray that you would give us the same desire to seek and understand your truth. Help us to treasure your word more than any earthly treasure and to meditate on it day and night. Give us a love and hunger for your word that cannot be satisfied by anything else. And Lord, I ask that you give us understanding as we study your word to open up our eyes to see the wonders of it and to give us insight into your teachings. Help us to apply your word, to live our lives, to walk in your ways. Also, I ask that you would give us the strength to resist temptation and to stay true to your word. Keep our hearts pure and our minds focused on you so that we may live a life that honors and glorifies you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.